to over 40 years, and I, uh, you know what, though, is what's really good is, though, is when you know the Lord, it just doesn't seem like it's been that long. Things just, it's just so much better. We have a peace that the world doesn't understand. We have a, we have a complete understanding of, of things that the world doesn't get, and it all is because of the name of Jesus. I want to tell you, and just want to remind you this, never be ashamed to say Jesus in a crowd. I would challenge my people today, those who are going to go out to eat, to be a light in the darkness, that when they go out to eat at a restaurant, make sure that you pray, because that's what God wants, to pray around the table, and also be a light in the darkness in the community, and so that others may see, but also that the Christians that are struggling and a little bit weary of doing that, that gives them encouragement also to pray in front of others. And we give God acknowledgement when we do that. But my name is Jimmy Staten, and I pastor a church in, uh, in the inner city of, uh, if you want to say in the inner city of Huntington. Um, Huntington is the second largest city in northeast Indiana out of 11 counties, which surprises me. But it is second to Fort Wayne, so um, it is a little larger than, than I always thought Decatur or Bluffton was bigger, but no, Huntington is. And so we are downtown about a block away from the courthouse. And um, me and my wife started our church called New Life Fellowship. We started it uh, 22 years ago in a house with two other couples. And today we, uh, we run a, today we run maybe about 95. I think our average last month was 95. Um, and, but we do a lot. We do a lot for the Lord. We try to do what God's called us to do. And, and so uh, I have three boys, myself, me and my wife. My wife was actually singing this morning, so she wouldn't be able to be here. But um, we have uh, uh, three boys, and we have four grandkids, three girls in Bluffton, and one is one of our middle son. The adventurous one is in Missouri and has our grandson over there. And they are not going to move here because his wife is an only child, and that's just not going to happen. But I was talking to Chris, and then and Chris was looking for some people. He asked me if I would fill the pulpit on a Sunday. He had three of them. I was like, well, man, I can do one. And um, so this is the one that uh, was picked, and we chose this one. And I just know that uh, your pastor needs his, and his family need a break. And I wanted to share with you, pastors, it's, it's a very difficult, it's a diff- very difficult calling on a man's family when you call it into the, pa- the, the world of pastoring and preaching. Um, it is it is a lot. Uh, I know phone calls happen and thing, all kinds of things can happen. But there's a weight that lays on a pastor, and that is his people. Constantly thinking and praying over people. Constantly thinking and praying over people. And when you pray and you have a prayer life, it can be exhausting at times because you carry the weight of others. And today I want to share with you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, to, or Luke chapter 10 today, and I appreciate the music you guys brought, and that was, uh, that was good, I like that. And sometimes it's just nice to visit someplace, hear some different music, different singers, and it's just good. It's good. So now, um, as you turn over to Luke chapter 10, I'll tell you, uh, uh, Baptist churches do the same thing. They fill up from the back, and then they fill up to the front. They start in the back and move to the front. And um, I see that that is no different here usually, but they usually have those people who love to sit in the front too as well. But uh, I want to share with you today a little bit about what Jesus... A man wanted to find out what, 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 what needed to happen for eternal life. And uh, I hope today you know that it is Jesus Christ. We cannot get to God 
except through Jesus Christ and salvation. And, um, but we're going to read here, and uh, I want to pray here, and uh, we'll begin. Father, we do thank you again for the day that you have given us. We thank you for the privilege to assemble ourselves under a roof and call out your name and praise you through song and through prayer and even through your word. We ask, Lord, a blessing on it. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you'd have for us that we might leave stronger and encouraged in your word and challenged. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, chapter 10 and uh, verse 25 uh, says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, testing Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is, the, what is your reading of it? So he answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and, you, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Today we, we, we are living in, a, in, a, in, a, in just a really weird time and it's a hard time. And what we're finding is that those who love the Lord, love the Lord. I mean, I, I pray today that you love the Lord. I do. I, I pray that you love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and your whole self. And we can do that. But there was a last tag onto this, and he says, and your neighbor as yourself. And that's what this gentleman, this lawyer, was wanting to really work on that part. He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is going to give a parable. He's going to give a story that he can learn from. But not just him, those who also were listening. I'm going to read that parable. It says in verse 30, then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him, and departing, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the, that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. He brought him into the inn and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And so we look at this parable and we see some things in here that is, I kind of look and see it, it's like, like today. Um, there is so much going on out here in this world today. There's so much division, so much hatred. There's just so much anger. There's all kinds of things that is happening out there today. There's hopelessness, and our suicide rate is, 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 is just very high. We watch the news, and we're not sure what we can and cannot trust, who we can and who we should and who we should not listen to. And then there's a fear. There's a spirit of fear that goes around, and people are living in fear, where people are staying home, not wanting to go places, living in fear, and just having that whole spirit of fear. And we see the crime rate is just really, really high. People are harming one another. People are doing things. 
We're seeing crowds of teenagers running across in crowds, just terrorizing things. We see the mass shootings. We're seeing all kinds of things happening. Yet the church seems to be silent on so much of these things. And when if I say the church is silent, that means that we're silent. It's not the building's silent. It's that we're silent. It isn't going out there advocating people. We can advocate for certain things, but the key is that we are to live the life that God's called us to live. It's not just coming to Christ and having salvation, which is the greatest gift that man has ever had the opportunity to receive. But once we have salvation and we follow Christ in the baptism and we we participate in the communion and we start growing up in our walk with Christ, we begin to see that there's, there's so much that God wants to use us for. There's so much there. But this is what we see. We see in this piece here that this man was down and, and he was walking from one town to another town and, and he was caught somewhere and they began to, a crowd of individuals began to take over, his, take over him and they stripped him and they beat him down and wounded him so bad that it left him on the street and he looked like he was maybe dead. The scripture says he's leaving him half dead and they just left him. But then along comes a special person, a priest. But the priest walks right by. Now somebody that might be all up into their, into their Bibles might say, well, that's Old Testament. If he's dead, he's not. The priest is not supposed to touch dead body. But he didn't even poke him with a stick to see if he was. Didn't even come by to say, hey, hey. Are you okay? But the priest walks by. Folks, I look at that, and that is heartbreaking. You know, we have a lot of pastors, and we have a lot of pastors. And if anybody can say something about pastors, maybe I can because I am a pastor. I meet a lot of pastors. I met a lot of pastors. A lot of pastors love to stay in their office. That's it. They like to stay in their office, wherever it may be. They don't like to get out and do anything. They like to just be plugged. They just like to plug in on their people. It's just, it is a, just, there's so many. And many, and many pastors today are even living in fear. You know, pastors are leaving in the droves right now. If right now, there's not enough pastors to fill the, the empty pulpits across the United States, let alone overseas. Pastors are quitting so fast. There's always, always, there's always been empty spots for pastors to move into, but now, even if they can get all the pastors into those places, there are still empty churches. So we're struggling in that area. But then we see another individual. Well, then we see the Levite. He comes by and he looks and he sees also that is he passes by as well. The Levite is also one of those individuals. He's not the priest, but they can be one. A little, little complicated there, but he also is the person who cleans the church. He does the things like that, does some of the music things back then. And so they were pretty important individuals. And basically it is the priest and the Levite should know better. Just like we should. We should know better. We should know better. We should know better. And then the man is still laying there. And then we see in verse 33, but a Samaritan, a in the would be a Gentile. I would call maybe this person maybe the unbeliever. And it says that he 
came to where the man was laying there. And the Bible says, and Jesus said he had compassion. It is amazing to me sometimes where you can see more compassion in the lost world than you do see in the church world. You see, it's, the, the, the compassion is what, you know, we, we read the book of Mark and we see a theme there that Jesus shows compassion all through the book of Mark. It is amazing. And we see here, he's talking about this in this parable, that this man, this, this, this Samaritan, is showing he has compassion. Meanwhile, the man is still laid out on the road. What does he do? Well, it says what he does is he starts to take charge. He starts to take him and he bandaged him up. What happens now is now this man is becoming invested. He's investing into this broken person. He's investing into a person. He's investing. With his, he's got some bandages. Maybe he took one of his shirts and ripped it up, cleaned one, whatever. He's bandaged this man's wounds. He was not, he's, he's using some of his resources. But a big important resource that we have today is time. We are so quick to be where we feel like we got to go. Yet this man gives time. He gives his resources. He gives his resources. He puts the man on his donkey. He gave up his comfort. He gives up more time. Now I got to get more time. Now he goes into the direction. He's going to an inn, a motel, an inn. And then he takes him into the inn, and then he takes him in there, and he says, listen, uh, he stays with this man overnight. He stays with this man overnight more time. His schedule is pushed aside. His stuff is moved from importance to secondary. He'll get to that. He's working with this individual. And then as he, as he works with him, then he, he gets up and this man needed more rest. And he goes up there to, to the manager and says, here is some money and I'll be back. This should take care of him. I'll be back. I'll come back to check on him. That's even more time. One of the most valuable things that we, 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 we possess is time because you can't get it back. He says, if he owes you anything, when I get back, I'll take care of that. Now, as a pastor, I struggled through some of this as well. I kept saying, Lord, what do we do? What do we do at New Life? What are we doing here at New Life as, a, as the Good Samaritan? Well, as I'm reading about this Good Samaritan here, um, the Lord hits me, the Holy Spirit hits me one day. And as I'm reading through this, it says, uh, I'm not talking about Good Samaritan. He's like, you are not the Good Samaritan. What? We are not the Good Samaritan. I'm not a Good Samaritan. I'm just not. We are an innkeeper. We are an innkeeper. We our last week's attendance maybe was like 109. I think it was 109. Our average is like 95. So we have seven buildings and we're 109 people on a Sunday. Yeah, last week. This year I think our average, like I said, was 95. We have seven buildings and we started living. We started our church in a house. Seven buildings. We moved five times in the first. Uh, in the first 10 years, we moved five times. Five times. God has given us a vision to be an innkeeper. Didn't, so, it, it just, so when I look at this now, I see the innkeeper. What does that mean? Now you flip and you see the innkeeper is the person who receives broken people. 
It is the person who receives broken people. So the Lord had impressed and, and, and to So we in one of those buildings, we have what we, what we would call, what you would call a soup kitchen. It is downtown. It is right there by the courthouse. Um, it is on the main strip of Huntington. If you've been down on Jefferson, it's right, right on the main strip. It is open every day from uh, Monday through Saturday, Sunday. It's, it's open up every day. On the weekdays, it is fr- open up from 6 to 7. And then on the weekends, it's from 5 to 6. We've been, we've been doing that for 15 years. We started that in the basement of the church, and then we moved it to a facility that we needed to move it out into the amongst the people. So we, we started our ministry by helping people who needed food, who needed not just a, uh, a box of food, but for the homeless people that, that didn't really, some, some of the people that come in live in tents. They live under bridge. They live in uh, abandoned vehicles. They live in abandoned buildings that they shouldn't be in. But they do come to us every day, and they come in to a meal. Now, this, this year, we've opened it up to now we do lunches Monday through Friday, noon to 1. So, and an individual came up to me uh, after the third day we opened up our lunch, and he said, hey, pastor, just want to say, I am so thankful you guys are doing lunch now. I get to eat two times a day. Now, how many of us get to snack two times a day if we want, right? But he says, I get to eat twice a day now. And so what we've done is we've, we know that uh, we're, the scripture says we're much is given, much is acquired, uh, uh, much uh, has been entrusted, much more will be asked for. So when God gives you things, we, we knew what our, our vision was in, in 2006. Uh, God gave a vision and, and we've been following it, but it's, it takes time to get to the vision. And there's faithfulness and there's testing of your faith. And, and so also we, we've opened up a women's uh, transitional home. We opened up a women's transitional home. And um, now that home actually now is two homes. So they lived, these houses, all the buildings that we have except for the soup kitchen are all on the same block. It's the way God has designed it, all on the same block. And so with our Women's Lifehouse program, it is a program where women can come and stay for a year, up to a year, sometimes a little longer if they need to. They have to be able to get a job. We believe that, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? If you can, if you're positive, if you can work, you need to work. And so one biggest part of our, our, our program is um, you have to go through an assessment and through that interview, you have to be able to say you can get a job, okay? People feel better when they earn what they got, right? And so we don't, we don't charge them. They do, if they get a job, they can, they can do 10%. Off, we don't care if it's net or gross. It's just what we want to do is for, for program books and things, and it's not a lot, um, but what it does, it reminds them everything is not for free. We want them to build up some, some self-esteem, self-respect. And so they get jobs. And then we help them. If they don't get a GED, we hook them up at the right places. So what they do is they come into our facility, and they can stay up to a year. And after that, they can, uh, they can leave. They can graduate after eight months. Sometimes they only come in for a couple of months because they're doing something else, and that's fine too. And so, But we also have a second house called the Fresh Start House. This house here is a house where the women who graduate can go move over to there. Now, our curfews are at 7 p.m. because nothing good happens at night. That's where people get in trouble, right? If you want to see the police blog, most people get arrested at nighttime. So we say we have one of the strictest we have one of the strictest uh, curfews uh, that I know of, and uh, it is at 7 p.m. Because why? 
You have to, at 7 p.m. you got to do your daily chores, and then at 7:30 you have class. And then you have after class 8:30 you got a couple hours to do what you need to do, and then you got to go to bed because you got to get up and go to work the next day. We really keep them busy. But in our home, we've had uh, in, in that Fresh Start house, you can actually have start working on reestablishing your relationship with broken with your broken relationship with your children. So right now we have a mom that's been in our first house for a year, maybe 12 months, 14 months, moved over to the second house, and now every other weekend her sons come to visit and can stay the weekend and starting to reestablish. And I've seen how this has worked for her, and now the now those boys are happy to see their mom, um, and it's working really well. We also have another female that just has been over there for a bit, and now we're beginning to see her son. She's with was with us for a year. Now we see her moved over. And now we're beginning to see her son, who we've never seen, beginning to build that relationship. The wounds aren't always physical. The wounds are not always physical. And so with that program, we have a saying, because sometimes people want to want to come in and, and get into the program, but they don't like they don't like this. They don't like some of the rules and guidelines that we have. One of the scenes we have is, if your way was working, you wouldn't be here. We have a plan. We have a we have a plan. And if you and if you uh, if you want to try something new and different, well, we're willing to do that. And we lay out a plan. Folks, I've seen women that didn't have no GED. I've seen a prostitute out of Detroit that was kicked out of a car. Ends up, lands, gets in our program, um, and then she ended up getting a GED, and she had two jobs. Two jobs. And another part of this program is that you have to save 50% of your money. So we have people that walk out of a program with a car, with all their fines, all whatever they need to take care of, and we've seen people walk out of the program with their head held high, with three, four thousand dollars today, we have somebody that's graduating with almost three thousand um, dollars. It's a man in our men's program, so he's graduating today, and he's got his apartment, and he's got a job, and when he came to us, had nothing, nothing. So he was broken in those areas. <clears throat> but what we see is we've had those two houses, and in uh, we were celebrating. Uh, we've our men's program, our men's life house opened up last, uh, so it's been, it's about 15 months old now. Our men's life house is always full. It's just always full. And so we have, like I said, we have a graduation today, <clears throat> and I'm pretty excited for him to be able to graduate. But what we see here is these, as this, as a, as a good Samaritan, we are called to definitely be looking out for those that are broken. And it's going to take time, it's going to take resources, it's going to take a lot. Because it's not, one thing I found out in my relationship with God is once I became, had the salvation and I became a child of God, this is what I realized as I began to grow up, my life is not mine anymore. I was purchased. My life don't belong to me. I'm responsible for how I live it, but my life does not belong to me. It belongs to him. And one thing I've noticed is he does a whole lot better with my life than I do. He does a whole lot better than I do. 
You believe that? You guys, you, do you believe that? I used to work undercover. Uh, I was in the military, and I worked undercover drugs. I bought a lot of drugs in Germany as a law enforcement. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to do it since high school. I did it. I did everything. that I, I went up to the highest peak of all these things in my life. I never had no peace. I was also uh, welcomed. I got into uh, as being... Uh, even in my life, I was able even to go and to become part of the, uh, the Italian Turkish mafia. I was welcomed into the family. I was into that deep. I was living what I wanted to, to do. I met my first CIA agent. I was running with them. I was using government money, buying and meeting drug dealers and doing all that. We were, they were getting arrested, but if they got arrested, then I would get arrested. And it was all part of my job. But what I found out is God didn't want me to do that. I kept having a dream over and over every night that me and my partner was going to get shot in an alley in a drug deal. And basically, it came to a moment when uh, the government offered me a five-year contract to stay in Europe to get into a, the next level, which would be those guys that I just mentioned. Um, the Holy Spirit just put them on, on my heart that if you go, if you sign this contract, the dream comes true. You don't go home. I didn't make you for this, but I will use it. And so it was 10 years later that the Lord called me, didn't tell me over that what it was, so I followed in the footsteps. What I just I trusted the Lord, and the Lord worked in my life, and I let him work in my life, and I came to this moment when I was 30. I said, Lord, I gave you, I gave you my heart when I was 12 years old. I know I have salvation at the age of 12. I gave you my heart, but now I'm 30, and I, now I'm going to give you my life. And folks, there is a difference. And when you give God your life, when you say, here it is, I'm giving you my life. This isn't about your salvation. This is, I'm giving you my whole life. Then God turns it upside down. He has a plan and he begins to work it. Now, because of my background, you with that stuff in the past, I walked away from my dream. I'm living now what his vision is and his dream for me. Now, we use, so I use some of that background stuff when I worked in law for all the drugs. And things are a little different, but a lot of it's still the same. Now I use it as a pastor. I'm working and I can see, yep. And I tell one of my deacons or whatever, say, you got to watch the guy in the back. He's high. That guy over there, that girl over there, she's craving right now. So I have people in my church that are watching for these things because we're a very messy church. But because we're messy. People are messy. And a lot of times we don't want to get messy. We don't want to get involved with people's messes because they're messy. And here it is, this man who bandaged this man's uh, wounds probably got blood on himself. Got those, so, you know, in, in our church, uh, we have very, we have people who uh, have been uh, walked away from the lifestyle of drug and addiction. Come to Christ. Sometimes people, when they graduate from our program, they come up and they say, hey, pastor, I love you. I love what New Life has helped me do. I love the Lord. I'm not going to come to this church anymore. I, I, I'm going to go down the street. I said, hey, you go down the street. Because I know what they're telling me. And they'll tell me. And I remember one young lady said, listen, I love this place. I want to come here. But everybody knows me as, as a heroin addict. And that's not me no more. And I'll tell my story when I'm ready. But right now, I just want to heal. So I'm going to go to another church where I can just be me. I can just go in and nobody's going to judge me. And I say, you go. You just go. And um, 
That's a win. It isn't about filling up our church, even though we want to fill it up. It's about God and His work. It's about His kingdom. It's about people going into the end, going into the end and coming out healed. But I'm also seeing some problems, even in our program. You see, that in the last 12 months, we've had something happen that's really never happened to us before. We're starting to see younger people. And I'm not talking about 22, 23. I'm talking about 18-year-olds. 17-year-olds that are coming to our place trying to fill out an application before they turn 18 to get a spot into our program. I'm going to be meeting with the superintendent of Huntington Schools because there's a problem. Both of our homes have 18-year-olds in them now. One's actually, now here's the thing, one of them is still going to school, getting picked up on a bus outside of our facility. I've got people in there that's been in there. We're getting ready to get a guy who's been in prison for 14 years, over 14 years. Do you know what kind of background 14 years of prison gives? And then we're going to be in there with this little lamb, this little boy, this little 18-year-old. The 18-year-old on his birthday, when he turned 18, the family went over to a grocery store and they dropped him off at midnight on his birthday and said... We have too many mouths to feed. You're on your own. Bus driver drove by and saw a kid laying down by a dumpster and went to pick, said, get on the bus and went, wasn't even supposed to be on his bus. Took, when he took the other kids to school, he had him sit in the front, took him into school, and he did go to school there. But the problem is he had no place. No place. He had no place to live. School got desperate and called us. What do we do? We opened up the doors. And now we had to watch this boy so the other guys that's been in prison or been incarcerated or just been they're very street smart, um, maybe they have a background, whatever it may be, we had to make sure that this young man wasn't going to be bullied. Then we have a, a set. We, just recently we picked up an 18-year-old girl who her parent, her her mother brought her to our facility when she was 17, and said she turns 17 in two weeks. She need that was just a big mess. Basically, we want her in your program. As soon as she turns 18, we want her in the program. Why can't she stay at home? Because not everybody lives in a home. Just because you live in a house doesn't make it a home. Just because you live in a house doesn't make it a home. And so now we have these young, and we have these young, and we're getting another, just, and we've had three 18-year-old boys come to try to get in our program. I was told through some educational people in the community and the school systems that they know of at least 20 kids that are just couch surfing. They're not even have a home. They just jump from friend's house to friend's house. We have a problem. But if we're going to be like the Levite and the priest and go like this and not see it, 
if we don't have to get our hands dirty and we don't have to acknowledge that it really happened. We can just get a flicker of it in our mind. Yep, I saw it and that's it. But what does it say? It says, but he wanting to justify himself. He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Our neighbors are not those who just look like us, but it's all people. It's all people. It's all people. Folks, we've had some people that actually have died. We've been in our programs for quite a few years now. Uh, our Women's Life House is celebrating 10 years uh, next month. 10 years, or June, 10 years. It's been a great program. We've seen over 300 women come through. Not all of them have made it, but so many have made it. We've had one girl, one lady that we didn't even realize that she went to school with my wife. My wife didn't know her, but they graduated the same year. They, they were at Northside, and they just didn't know each other, but it was, they found out that they went to school together. And it just amazes me that uh, she came in, she had, a, she had a drinking problem, and we worked through that. She had one little mishap and worked through that, and she was with us for a good long while, about a year. And she's got, she's, she had bought her car with her own money, a couple thousand dollars bought a car. She's very proud of that. Because then if you get a car, you got to have insurance, you got all, she did all those things. She was saying, I got to get an apartment. So she lined up an apartment. She got her furniture from like a big lots and she got a storage unit, put all of her stuff in the storage unit. And one day she says, I don't feel good. And he took her to the hot, they took her to the, <clears throat> to, to the doctor and came back and said, honey, you got, do you not know you got cancer? No. Well, I got, what's going on? She goes, you got stage four cancer. She came, she came back to the house, she made a couple of days, she got sick again, and the next thing she went to the hospital and then they put her in hospice. <clears throat> Most of us know how the world, how it ends in hospice. And then we tried to call her family. One of her family members came in, and when she, he, he came in, her brother came in and saw her. They haven't seen each other for over 20 years. Came in, and she said, is that you? Because she was sick, came in, they had their moment, <clears throat> talked a little bit, and then he left. And then he went, he left. Never came back. We got his phone number, we got their numbers. But the family just didn't show up. But you know who did? The church family. The church family did. And then she died. And we called the family and said, what do you, she had enough money in there, did a cremation, she had a car, and she had a little bit of money in her savings account, extra whatever, furniture. And the family said, we don't want any of that stuff. They took the money out of the bank account, which was fine. And then they, we said, well, would you like to have the ashes? We don't want those either. You can have them. They didn't want a ceremony. They didn't want to even do a ceremony. do a ceremony. Didn't anyone do anything? And this is blood family. But let me tell you, sometimes I believe that, I believe the church family is stronger than blood family. I truly believe that. 
So we said, what are we going to do with these ashes? We don't want to put urns. We don't want to start putting urns into our, into our pub. We don't want to do that. So what we ended up doing was we took it down by the river and we brought a group and said, if you would like to come, come down, say a few words. And let me tell you, folks, everyone in all of our houses came down. Their Sunday school, her Sunday school teacher came down. Some church people came down. And it was a nice ceremony. She had a, a good ceremony from people that did care about her and people who loved her. She was like this man who was on the side of the road. And she found a place that would take her in. And we did everything we could, but life also, you just never know when. So we have her picture on our wall. And we have the cat picture on the wall because we have a therapy cat who passed away also. We have the therapy cat. But we also have a lady that didn't want to finish the program. She left before she was completely healed. And we couldn't find her. And her problem was she would do great for a couple of months and then she would go out and binge drink. And when I mean binge drink, she would drink herself to passing out. Well, they found her. They found her about a week later, and she had been in a car in the middle of summer in a grocery store parking lot. She'd been in the back seat of a car in 90 degree temperature. She'd been there for three days. When they said they opened that car, it was just horrible. Once again, family did not want to do any kind of service or anything. We went to the park, brought some balloons, did the best we could. But sometimes people just can't finish. They leave. But we do know that the church is supposed to be a place of hope. There is more hopelessness now than it looks like in the world. There is so much so much anger in the world. There's so much just confusion in the world. There's so much going on in the world that's just negative. But if we keep, if we start looking back to the church, we start spending time with our brothers and sisters in Christ and praying over them, seeing how we might get involved. It makes no sense that a church our size would have seven buildings. We're getting ready to open up a new home. This home is a foster care slash respite home, which means we have a couple in our church that doesn't want children right now, and they're in their upper, they're in their 20s, upper 20s, and they just don't want children. But they're going to be our foster care parents. We bought a house, and how we bought the house is we didn't have money, but God gave it. We just get the house, and we're going to open this house this this summer, and this couple is going to take children from DCS into their home. What is amazing is they're not going for babies. They don't want the babies. Everybody in foster care wants babies. They want that 12-year-old bad attitude girl that just hates the world and the boy who is angry at everything in life It's 15 years old. They want the 10 to 17-year-old to children Folks, I am so thankful that God is allowing us to open this house. 
You know, that's not, that is going to be hard work. But it's such a privilege. You know what I love about working and serving God? I have fresh testimonies every week. I have fresh testimonies every week of what God is doing. There was a time when I, I'm going to close, but there was a time when I had to come to the altar to, to pray at the altar. No one was there. It was a weekday, and I was like, Lord, tomorrow, um, when you're in ministry, people don't get paid what they need to get paid, but sometimes you have to pay people that's going to be there because they, so that they'll be there. And, uh, <clears throat> and I said, Lord, I, we don't have enough money. You can have my check. That's fine, but that's still not going to cover payroll for the next day. It's just not. But you called us to do it. You said you would supply it, so I trusted in you. But you got to let me know who, who who's going to get cut next. Well, I want to tell you something. God don't cut people. I walked out and said, okay, it's the end of the day. I'm walking out. After I get done, I grab my keys. I go out to the car. I get ready to get in the car. A guy calls up, honks his horn, waves me over, and just hands me a check. He says, hey, I've been looking for you. I want to give this to the ministries. And when I looked at it, went back into the church, and guess what I had to do then? I had to come down here and praise God. Well, folks, I'm telling you, you pray. You have not because you ask not. It wasn't for me. It was not just take care of the people that, that serve. Our church budget, I just want to let you know, our church budget is about $153,000. That's what we need to make sure our church operates. <clears throat> but our ministry budget is 400000 now, last year was 350 some thousand dollars, and we only took in 250 but we were able to cut, not people, but we were able to cut some things. We were able to do that. And when you run seven buildings, a soup kitchen, and you're feeding people twice a day, and you're also feeding those in the homes, the three other homes, and you have to have staff around it, and we paid, we started our staff at eight bucks an hour, and now we just only do 10 bucks an hour. And I'm telling you, most people will not work for 10 bucks an hour. So it has to be a heart, has to have some, some compassion on that. But I want to tell you, I believe that God's making a difference in Huntington. We've gotten, when you look at the map, we've gotten people from Allen County, Woodley County, Wabash. We've even gotten some from Wells County. Because pain and suffering is not just in Huntington. It's everywhere. So I just want to challenge you today. I just want to challenge you that that when you see something um, over to your right or to your left, or you see something in the front. Speak to the Lord. Would you have something for me to do right about this situation? Don't avoid. Just go to it. Ask God to give you discernment that you might know if it's good or if it's bad. And I challenge, I just ask you to pray for us at New Life. We're getting ready to open that, that new ministry. We've got to keep making sure everything is going straight. God's called me and our church to be an innkeeper. Maybe God's called you to be an innkeeper, but maybe he's called you to be the good Samaritan. But that makes you have a conversation with God, amen? Amen? All right, so we're in the house of the Lord today, right? Amen. Not trying to beat you up, just trying to encourage you and get you to know that life is bigger than just yourself. Amen? Amen. Amen.